I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast by the Takshashila Institution. We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like bringing fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and Indian perspectives to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, and welcome to All Things Policy. I am your host Saurabh Todi. and i have with me my colleague shambhavi nayak and we are going to discuss an important development so the supreme court uh, last week uh, reserved its judgment in the case filed uh, in 2004 initially about the uh, need to have gmos in india uh, the brief background shambhavi will will describe and we'll will discuss you know the implications of this and uh, a lot different types of public policy and scientific uh issues that come with you know this 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 issue so a very warm welcome shambhavi thanks thanks sir and let me start by correcting you so it was a very important non development that happened last week <laughs> the fact that there was no judgment i think judgment any any which way would have been helpful but a reserved judgment i think is the worst of them all uh and the other is that it, this was about gm mustard so india does allow gmos to be grown gpt cotton uh, it's just that we still haven't made a decision about whether we should allow cultivation of genetically modified food crops or crops for consumption uh because people perceive there will be issues with uh, health or with um, an environment if we allow for a broader ambit of genetically modified crops to be grown in the country right so that's that's where we are the the gm mustard was initially developed in 2002 to a considerable cost i think to with a lot of public money that also went into the development it was developed in the delhi university uh, through collaborations and uh, is known to have known to increase yield of uh, mustard by 30% and also has an added feature of being herbicide uh, resistant so basically if you're growing it and there are weeds around and you want to destroy the weeds you can spray herbicides on the plant itself and the plant won't die but the weeds will so it's supposed to ease agricultural processes in in a way if you want to use it i think often gm mustard gets talked about as a herbicide resistant plant but that's not its core characteristic the 30% increased yield i think is um irrespective of the herbicide feature the the, the herbicide feature got added in because the system that was used to create uh the gm mustard had this as a as a part of the process um and this is it's just complicated biology because um because mustard is a self pollinating plant and therefore so so normal techniques could not be used for creating the hybrid and they had to use a system i'm not saying that this is the only system that could be used but uh, i just want to reiterate that a lot of arguments that you will see against gm mustard are for the herbicide resistant feature but it is not the central feature Yeah, no, I uh, I agree, and and the point well taken that yeah we have VT cotton for for a long time, and it has shown to be successful. So it's 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 not like you know it has not worked, but uh, yeah the the everlasting argument about whether should we should have GM crops for food is is still ongoing, and sadly uh, to to this day. So Shamavi, like, what are the arguments that have been presented by the 
petitioners against. So just a brief background. So last year in in October, the government gave a the go ahead to uh, do field trials of GM mustard at eight locations. It, it is a closed. I mean, it is a a trial like in the grounds, so like not in the lab, but it is a, a it is a controlled environment. Like it is not uh, completely out in the in, in the open, as in like the 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 location is within the agricultural institutes or or places which are monitored by by scientists and that was challenged uh, in the supreme court uh, and then the supreme court stayed that uh, decision by the government in november so yeah so what has been this argument which happened both in december and then this month as well right so i think um, obviously GM mustard is now a case study uh, because of the number of times people have taken it to court and the number of times uh, we have delayed or managed to delay the actual testing of uh, of these um, of this crop. Um, I, before I go into actual GM mustard, I want to talk about one overarching argument that we hear a lot about any GM, which is the fact that GM crops fail, and this has been said about BT cotton as well. OBT cotton fails. And I don't think that's the correct use of the term fails. It is just evolution at work. So we know that the ballworm eats cotton. So we created cotton which could be resistant to the ballworm. And as things happen and life evolves, the ballworm eventually got um, resistant to the the mechanism that BD cotton uses to develop resistance, to create, to induce resistance. And so then we had second generation, third generation BT cotton. Right? This is not failure. This is just life. This is what you expect when you grow. Yeah. So, plus, I mean, I think this idea that you know, I mean, to expect that okay, if you have one GM crop and it should never fail and it should just remain workable for the entire lifetime, it, it's it's kind of absurd because that is akin to I would say that you know buying a machinery and like hoping that it 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 would never break or it yeah. it would never have end of life. Once it serves its purpose for a reasonable amount of time, then you know you would have to upgrade. You will have to change. So this idea that you know, I mean, yeah, this is this is quite uh, yeah. And you see it. I mean, you see it so often. You see it now with antimicrobial resistance. Yes, we develop antibiotics. Then the microbes develop the resistance to the <laughs> antibiotics. Then we develop second generation, and now we are really struggling to you know find better antibiotics, which will still continue to work because a lot of pathogens have decided have have now learned. What antibiotics we use and develop resistance. That is how life works. Yeah. That's how it will also work with GMOs. So to think that a GMO is a silver bullet and to create arguments against it saying that it is not going to solve all of problems is a little silly because yes, it is not going to solve all of problems. Nothing does. Right? It is how with a given technology, what would be the appropriate way to use it is the discussion we should be having. And I think arguments then can be made that, hey, do we need to use it now? And I think that's a much fairer conversation to have, understanding its benefits and risks, and do those benefits outweigh risks right now for us to try it. I think it's a much fairer ground to have these discussions than to come into the discussion saying, hey, this is either going to solve all of India's agricultural problems, or this is just going to kill all of India's biodiversity and therefore we should ban it. Right? These are kind of the two end spectrum arguments that we continue to hear. And I think that premise itself is problematic. Right? So I just wanted to lay this out that when we at Takshashila think about gene editing and GMO crops, our 
understanding is that okay there are various forms of agriculture gm technology is one form of agriculture that india needs to pursue because we really don't know at what stage in our future it might become necessary that india has to deploy gm technology because very simply put natural evolution cannot keep up with climate change right yeah. so crops will find it increasingly difficult to adapt to just the sheer rate of climate change that we have induced right so we have to also then make sure that we have enough expertise yeah. to create crops literally at will if mm. required yeah. to adapt to those changes plus it also allows people to also be more familiar with it right if for example due to climate change or uh, rapid kind of changes you suddenly introduce like just just plethora of gm crops in the market people may also be feel okay what has happened you know what is like is this okay is it acceptable so it only would further breed suspicion yeah but if it is slowly introduced you know one crop after the other with more trials and there have been many that are just i mean our agricultural research institutes have been ready with at least so many different varieties it's just that the the permissions are not given yeah. so i think doing it in a step by step manner is is much more effective but yeah so i want to come back to so what i mean what you highlighted are mainly the arguments against gm mustard but can you uh, like elaborate on what were the uh, what have been the arguments against gm mustard in the court right so i think um there's several arguments one is on uh, one which is leading is obviously that it was going to impact biodiversity uh, that if we start with gm mustard if we start bringing in more genetically modified food uh, food crops then india will lose out on biodiversity we have some 5000 varieties of mustard uh, and you know in, they will all get replaced because you will have a super crop which is going to give <laughs> uh, this is a little uh, conundrum for me to explain because the same people who will say that oh farmers will grow it because it will give them higher yield will also they say but farmers will then uh, be impacted economically by it uh, because uh, it is going to you know, impact them you know, Uh, financially uh, so i i don't know how those two kind of square <laughs> up with each other but okay uh, let us go with the argument that we have 5000 varieties and we are going to bring in the super crop and we are going to kind of now lose all of the 5000 varieties right it is it that could happen okay i'm not saying it wouldn't happen yeah, yeah. maybe it is such a good crop that all farmers decided this is what we want to grow because it is going to give us uh, money right and at this point of time where india imports a lot of its oil mm-hmm. where india is actually dependent on foreign countries to serve its uh, oil requirements this is mustard oil not not the other oil <laughs> uh is that uh, a fair trade off mm-hmm. um and i would say yes i mean yeah, we, I, i i agree i mean what would you do with that variety yeah. if that variety is not uh like it is not being able to fulfill your yeah. needs and you anyway have to import and that import is from varieties that are not from india yeah. Yeah. And, so and and they are gm anyways and they are gm exactly GM. so you are you are anyways giving gm mustard oil to most and gm soya oil to people in this country so you are not actually replacing much on the consumer side end um but we know that whatever indian varieties there are are clearly not matching up to the demand mm-hmm. right and so if it's a question of 
bio of preserving biodiversity i'm sure we can create other policy avenues uh, banks etc to maintain our biodiversity but whether the biodiversity is required to actually meet our agriculture requirements i, I i'm not sure and that plus i mean if you allow gm crops i mean once the market is more free once for example you don't have too many unreasonable uh restrictions on gm crops there will be competing types of gm crops as well it's not like you yeah. only need one gm mustard in for entire india yeah. some other company some other scientists may be able to uh will be able to have a new variety and you can have variety in that sense a, a scientist should be able like who knows maybe you can combine a few 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 varieties that we have in india so all of that requires an atmosphere and a policy environment where you can do that yeah and even hybrids right yeah. you, you can use non gm techniques to and, make and more. we have been using i mean yeah. all the rice and i mean are we saying that after the green revolution our diversity our biodiversity of rice and we did not take a hit i mean now the yeah. high yielding variety i mean now farmers who grow for commercial reasons grow those high yielding varieties which are not you know quote and quote uh, naturally existing i mean it is natural but it is not existing in the environment the same way but they are now the dominant variety and that is fine this this fascination with preserving biodiversity at the expense of losing income for farmers and endangering food security is just quite and creating for independence and creating for independence obviously <laughs> <laughs> it is yeah it is it is very interesting um and actually uh, it is i find it mind boggling that we can say the same things all of these diverse things in the same breath and present it as an argument right okay so this was the biodiversity argument uh, the second argument is about uh, the use of herbicides in agriculture right and uh, i think even the green revolution has shown that you know the minute pesticide use went up you saw a degradation of soil uh, you saw a degradation of water quality uh, and groundwater seepage etc and one part of the equation is that would if people started sowing gm mustard and using herbicides with it uh, will we start seeing similar sort of soil degradation and again it is a very realistic concern right I, i'm not going to say that it is not a concern at all uh, i think the supreme court also at some point of time said that hey look our farmers are not like foreign farmers they are illiterate and so we have to make we have to uh, think for them when we think of the use of gm mustards in entirety uh, and not just from the science point of view stay tuned to all things policy we'll be right back after a short commercial break it is such a patronizing statement it like is. it is i mean what you are saying is that the farmer in india does not know what is good for uh, for him or her you know i mean yeah they may not you know be as educated quote unquote but they know what would work for them if they grow something how much it will yield will it be useful i mean it is i mean it it is so patronizing i mean it who is who is thinking for them and like and to be honest i mean i mean i am preaching to to, to to the choir here i mean farmer groups a lot of farmer groups are actually in favor of having gm crops yeah. because it increases the it their yields increases their incomes so when farmers are okay with it you know who are we to kind of think oh my god if it is our only concern that okay we are concerned about something i can i can say okay it's an argument but don't use 
farmers as you know like their shoulders to 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 aim a gun at this because they are the ones who actually want these uh these crops yeah so wait okay let us unpack that a bit so there are some farmer groups which want gmos in fact the first gmos in india bt cotton came before we actually even legally allowed it because farmers wanted it so they just got it and started using it there are obviously also some farmer groups which are against gmos and i think our stance usually is that if you know in a di- in a diverse enough country let the person make a choice yeah. like you don't make a choice for them so make it available make it uh, for standard that would be acceptable for safety so obviously you don't want gm crops which might endanger people's lives being <laughs> grown yeah. right yeah. and the government's role should should be to actually look at safety data yeah um and we'll come to safety data in a bit but uh, so that but once it is safe the government should really get out of the way and say okay this is gm this is non gm you grow what you want and as a consumer you eat what you want and that part we do do right yeah. we, we do have labels on gm and non gm uh, food items mm-hmm. or this contains gm items etc right and i think there's there's a, a little bit of uh, reason to this whole literacy literacy argument but again if it is an argument then i really don't want either the supreme court or the government to be making the decision for the farmers yeah. it would really be to equip the farmers to make the yeah, decision I mean, for them we have we have fpos and other organizations and you could ensure i mean as a government or even as an ngo that you make sure that you let the facts in front of the farmer and then they can make an informed yeah. choice yeah. not make a choice for them yeah so that i find very very <laughs> again very uh, intriguing that this was actually put forward as a reason but okay there is a genuine concern that if there is an abuse of herbicide use uh it could lead to soil uh degradation but again this is this is why we keep on saying that there are several methods of agriculture and the best practice is to actually practice more than one of them uh and so you do one batch of gmos for example then you do something else uh i am not a agricultural farmer myself so i i, I have no authority to actually <laughs> talk about <laughs> to talk about this but i mean gm crops have been have been used the world over yeah and there are best practices on how they are they should be used one of the examples that we know of is bt cotton yeah uh, and again going back to the bt cotton failing <laughs> um, idea so when bt cotton was first introduced uh, it came with the guidance that we should follow a 80 20 rule so 80% of what you sow in your field should be bt cotton and 20% should be non bt cotton uh, this is because the bollworm which infests and uh, destroys the crop uh, could then feed on that 20% uh, and the remaining 80% you would be able to harvest uh, but because the bollworm is now now not under a survivor uh, pressure mm-hmm. because it is allowing we are allowing a, a little bit of population to keep on growing it would develop resistance to bt uh, slower slower yeah but this was obviously not followed mm-hmm. and that is why resistance to bt cotton came up much faster than so is it so was it not followed only in india or even no, globally globally okay. globally it wasn't followed as i mean I, i i understand the scientific reason behind giving 8020 i also understand by, why people would not by have followed like why should i waste 30% of my crop yeah. <laughs> now that i've now that i understand science and public policy both i can see why this uh, utterly and completely failed but what i'm trying to say is that yes herbicide use will be a concern but with adequate training is the way out of it banning gm crops is not the way out 
Yeah, I mean, true. And, and I think the same kind of, you know, concern that, for example, the green revolution has had increased use of insecticides and, and pesticides. So I think that is obviously is a problem. But as you said, the solution is not to not have hybrids, right? The solution is to make sure that you educate farmers and you have programs in place that reduce uh, that kind of behavior. Yeah. And you learn from your mistakes yeah. and mistakes from others. I mean, like Sri Lanka buying GM yeah. food yeah. <laughs> uh, said we would only do organic farming and it failed. Like the first year, it just dramatically failed. Uh, and they lost a lot of money because yeah. of that. Uh, Kenya, I think, uh, also bad. Kenya, oh, one of the African countries, banned GM crops a couple of years ago. Um, there was a drought for three years in a row. Crops could not survive. They ended up uh, not only importing food, but then removing the ban on GM crops mm-hmm. because for their conditions, they could not find ways to make hybrids quick enough. So they had to they have to now use gm technology and they don't really have a lot of time to make it so when the supreme court says things like oh there is no compelling need for india to invest in gm mustard or gm technology i don't think once that compelling need arises we will have time no, i i i want to pick on that i mean see this is like one of my like very like personal quibbles you know is that the Supreme Court is now asking, you know, is there a compelling reason to introduce GMOs or or in this case, GM mustard? First of all, who decides what is compelling, right? Is Supreme Court the... We are already importing. I don't know if that is not compelling. <laughs> what is compelling? No, I know, like, and, and, and see, that is why I think this, this, uh, this has been a constant refrain, both from people in policy, in the government, or even judges who are, who, I mean, but only after they retire is that oh we should not interfere in the in the uh, in the domain of policy making and so so for that i am curious that the supreme court's role in this would be at best to ensure that whatever rules and regulations have been laid down for uh, assessment of of gm crops are being followed and if they are followed then that is where the role of the Supreme Court ends. It is it is not in the domain of the Supreme Court to say whether India should or should not have GMOs. That is, I mean, that is exclusively in the domain of executive and legislature. Yeah. So why this kind of, you know, I mean, this is quite, uh, I mean, normal for the Supreme Court, sadly. But this is just this is just crazy. And 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 you're right. We import almost 50-60% of our of our needs, all of them, I mean, majority of them are from countries which anyway grow GM crops. So the oil is extracted from GM crops. Yes. So we are anyway using like GM oil, uh, like GM derived oil. So what is the problem growing it in India? So, okay. So when, when the initial court cases happened, obviously the Supreme Court established a technical expert committee to give us report on whether India should have GMOs or not. Uh, and the technical expert committee, I think, basically came back saying that there are flaws in the regulatory system and therefore now is not the correct time uh, <laughs> to uh, to bring in GMOs. Which, I mean, I agree. There are, the regulatory system yeah, yeah, can major, be strengthened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Should the, be strengthened. <laughs> the uh, genetic, uh, the ex- uh, the, uh, the, the GAC, GAC yeah. is um, 
very opaque mm-hmm. i mean we have never seen data come out from trials etc and i think just the transparency of data would be really helpful mm-hmm. in making a case for gm uh, crops uh, but it is opaque um, and it needs it, it, it does need strengthening I, to, i don't think anyone will disagree with that but okay then tell what's to be done with strengthening right yeah. you, can't, you, you can't ban the crops or the technology because this, they, yeah this logic like oh we have weaker system so let's not have it it's the same thing like if you can't regulate properly for example i would say the supreme court or, or courts judiciary should say that okay he, this the the data regarding the the trials and gm crops is in public interest so yeah. you should release data that is what the courts should do yeah. and then the people and the companies and everyone can see for themselves whether they want to have it or not yeah. but this idea that okay the government is happy that all the data is uh, with them and there is there's no public scrutiny yeah. and courts can just say oh well yeah we will not is i mean i'm <laughs> yeah I mean, it, I, it's just frustrating something we can say that hey we should not do this because Um, it's funny right like there was no recommendation that oh there are flaws these are a b c d are flaws yeah. fix them and then you can introduce yeah but the idea was oh we have weaker systems but i mean even if you take that as face value i mean this uh the first case was filed in 2004 and the technical committee was set up in 2012 so it has been more than a it decade has, yeah yeah it has gone back and forth quite a bit so we uh, so we've improved I I am I guess I mean so both they did, so they did do a lot of long term safety studies uh not only for humans uh but also honeybees mm-hmm. pollinators etc because in in an open uh, field obviously yeah. you have to see the impact on pollinators and they have shown data that it is all safe um that's a other contestation point is what do people mean by long term because you know long term <laughs> can be long Can be how much ever you want, and that's again a little unreasonable, I think, to to expect. And also, I don't understand why we need to have all of these exalting standards of GM technology that you know we do everything else in our life so frivolously. Uh, you know, biodiversity, for example, then stop building buildings. I mean, if you're really that concerned about biodiversity, yeah. Uh, so I don't, I mean, I don't want to indulge in bio in what about here. uh but i think the the idea that uh, gm technologies need to be held to some really high standard um is weird and again if you want to hold it set the standard don't ban no and and also i mean even if now let's say you bring geopolitics here right so it is remarkable that india has the highest percentage of arable land in the world as a per percentage of its total land area it's higher than china high in the us and many many other countries it is the highest globally still our agricultural productivity is is horrible like it is very 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 low yeah. and obviously there are many other reasons it's, it's not just the gm crops or non gm crops there are many other factors you know uh, access to finance small land holdings yeah. and many other things so it's not a it, it is a multi causal yeah. factor but you see and when we view oh my god china has so much of advantage it has so much of uh, uh, like uh, like role to play in global agriculture market that is because they also have very openly embraced gm crops as well yeah. they grow them uh, substantially and so with area a lot less than india they are able to produce significantly more and how do you compete with that i mean you can't just say oh, we have 5000 types of uh, uh mustard mama mama sir so let's not i mean that's that's yeah. just crazy yeah 
you know anyways the final argument that, <laughs> that i've seen in made in this case is that uh, a lot of the agriculture uh, workforce which does weeding uh, is women and so if you switch to an herbicide resistant plant and therefore start using herbicides uh, the women will lose their job and therefore there will be a, a socio economic impact uh, felt in rural parts of the country and i don't i don't know why we cannot think of giving women better job as a solution yeah the the, the, the thing is oh my god they they will not be able to do weeding so yeah. let's just not like deweed stuff yeah Yeah. Like what is this? I mean, the you can. The fact that their families might earn more money because of this, and uh, they might earn more. They may not have to work uh, as hard, or they may be able to increase their skills and work in something else. You know, it's not like the like the female workforce can't do anything else. It's just, and they also do it because again, it's a lot of hidden labor. A lot of them are just working there because they have to do it. It's not like oh my god, I really want to do weeding. it's because they don't have access to other resources or the fact that you have to do manual labor to do weeding now if there if there would not be as many weeds or much less weed then that it frees up time right to to do a lot uh different different um tasks different tasks so yeah. and yeah. Again, i think the government's role has to be to create those avenues yes so yeah okay uh so thanks a lot shambhavi it was yeah. it was an ex- uh well interesting conversation Keep quite 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 sad in many ways but hopefully uh, i mean as as we said the supreme court has reserved its judgment so maybe we'll 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 talk to you again when the judgment comes hopefully yeah. it will not be as heated we'll be more elated uh, that I okay i strongly doubt it <laughs> uh, but i i mean we can't run away from the fact that at some point of time in the future we are going to need gm technology and, I, we can't run and at from that it. time we will yeah, be worried yeah. that oh my god we don't have the capacities domestically and we have yeah. to import it and you know china is is the largest supplier of of gm seeds and we may have to just live with that so in that uh, somber note happy uh, new year everyone <laughs> happy new year everyone <laughs> and uh, thank you shambhavi uh, thanks a lot thank you if you liked our show Don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashila inst. or our website takshashila.org.in